Hi, this is Isaac Arthur. Welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash Isaac Arthur and use my code Isaac Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Possibly one of the best known solutions for why we don't see or hear from aliens is that they can contact us but feel morally obliged not to, and that perhaps in the future we'll feel the same. Star Trek is perhaps the most culturally influential of all science fiction franchises, and one of its best known features is the Prime Directive of the Federation Starfleet, also known as General Order No. 1 or the Non-Interference Directive. It's been stated in various forms over the years, but the general idea is that they are not supposed to interfere in other civilizations, and for those who lack the ability to engage in interstellar travel, not to be detected by them. The priority of this is considered so high that Starfleet personnel are expected not to violate the Prime Directive, even to save their own lives or their ships or shipmates. This often seems rather extreme, but as we'll see today, if a civilization did want to follow a directive like this, they essentially would have to be that extreme about it, and maybe even go further to make it work. We have looked at this notion before, perhaps in most detail in our episode Smug Aliens and Zoo Hypothesis, but I wanted to revisit it to ask if our normal assumption about non-exclusivity actually holds or not. For those of you new to the Fermi Paradox, It's the apparent contradiction in how empty the universe appears to be of ancient advanced civilizations taken against the sheer age and size of the universe. Non-exclusivity is one of our recurring terms for asking if everybody would do the same thing. It asks if for two given traits, if one of them would only occur where the other did, like a knowledge of geometry being exclusive to those who knew basic arithmetic. As an example, it's easy enough to posit a species that sticks at home and keeps to itself, and the galaxy may be full of thousands of such civilizations which did just that, and yet if civilizations can travel the stars, and can exist without imploding for millennia, it would seem improbable that not even one of those decided to go out and colonize the stars, since anyone who did so and kept growing their numbers and colonizing could easily colonize every solar system in their own galaxy in under a million years, even without fast and light travel, and thus outnumber all the folks who stayed at home, it wouldn't really matter if 999 out of a thousand civilizations stayed homebound, just that one did not. Exclusivity itself refers to cases where we can expect a given trait to almost always be entwined with another, an example of that would be that any interstellar civilization should also understand rocket science, and that civilizations which are interstellar are exclusively those who also understand rocket science. We can think of some hypothetical scenarios for a civilization not knowing rocket science but still having interstellar travel, but we'd imagine those to be fairly rare examples. Similarly, we tend to expect interstellar civilizations to be exclusive to those with the trait of being curious, since developing technology would seem unlikely if you weren't. Again, we can imagine cases where that might not apply, like a species that stole their technology from someone else, or used to be curious but removed that trait in some fashion, but ought to be a rarity. When dealing with many other things though, it's harder to argue exclusivity. It is fairly common to suggest one economic system or another is the only rational one a civilization would follow, and must converge to in order to succeed in space, and it is entirely possible some forms of government or economics are better at space development, 
but the simple fact that the space race was between a capitalist and communist nation, and that both had major successes, would seem to imply that regardless if one economic system was better than another, you can get out to space with either and presumably with others too. Thus we can't say interstellar civilization is exclusive to capitalism or communism or socialism or any of their variants or alternatives. The same reasoning would seem to apply to various governmental systems, be it democracy or monarchy, dictatorship or republic and so on. We generally assume this is also true for ethics and morality too. There may be a lot of ethical concepts that are neo-universal among civilizations, such as a respect for life or at least life of their own species, but that's a lot harder to claim exclusivity on. Now there is a general notion that if there is such a thing as objective right and wrong, or best ethical practices, that civilizations would tend to converge on those moral systems over time, and we'll return to that notion in a bit. However, in absence of that, any civilization that wants to practice something like the Prime Directive is confronted with a bit of a problem. As an example, Star Trek introduced us to many other civilizations beyond humanity and the other members of the Federation, the Klingons, Romulans, and Borg being maybe the best known, and none of those three seem like they would care about non-interference in other civilizations, quite to the contrary, interfering in other civilizations would seem a major policy of theirs. The Klingons want to fight and conquer everybody, the Romulans want to run the show, and the Borg want to assimilate everyone. None of this implies leaving peaceful or primitive societies alone. Indeed a bit of a plot hole in Star Trek is the question of how the Federation ever managed to find anyone those three haven't already gotten to first, since they've all had interstellar travel a lot longer than the Federation has been around. And that is the other big issue with the general notion of non-interference. If you are doing it from apathy it's fine, you do not care if someone else interferes, conquers, assimilates, or eradicates other civilizations. However, if it's a moral stance, then you'll hear folks suggesting you should either get there first, if interference is unavoidable, to do it in the least damaging way, and others suggesting you should stop those aggressor civilizations from interfering. Whether that's diplomatic efforts to discourage them or setting up a blockade around the planet to prevent interference, or simply attacking the other empire, if you want to stop them from interfering you have to take some sort of action. And that includes your own civilization since if you've got a range of viewpoints on the issue you will have members of your own civilization opting to ignore the rule and interfere. The Prime Directive is Starfleet's General Order 1, but there are folks in the Federation who own starships. We do not know how that non-interference is enforced in the Federation, if it is at all, but it would not seem likely that Starfleet hides the existence and locations of plants they discover or leaves minefields and defense platforms around them. Of course in Roddenberry's vision of a Star Trek future it is implied humanity has outgrown its bad behavior, except for the occasional and rare bad eggs, so maybe virtually no one is inclined to break rules and starships aren't so easily obtained that any lone bad egg can do it on their own. We might dismiss this as a plot hole in a fictional universe, but it could actually play out that way in real life. Civilizations might get very good at handling their bad eggs and minimizing the spoilage in the first place, and we'll return to that notion shortly. For a Prime Directive solution of the Fermi Paradox to be true, it pretty much requires a situation like that, where all civilizations not only converge to a morality of non-interference and are good at instilling their morality to their entire civilization, or alternatively that one civilization or faction in control of a civilization is just very, very dedicated to enforcing that policy. As an example, it doesn't matter if most civilizations in the Universe get contacted while still bound to their homeworld, just that we were not. And if in our galaxy someone got on the scene early and achieved dominance, but firmly believed in letting plants with native life be left alone, well they might be in a very good position to enforce that. 
We don't know that our solar system might not be protected from outside interference. It is entirely possible our whole Oort cloud is one big swarm of mines and anti-ship batteries and signal scramblers designed to make sure we are left alone by lone individuals or minor factions that would break the rule, and that some ancient civilization's unstoppable armada sits around waiting for any other civilization to pounce on any other civilization that dares break the rule. We often assume neither option, a universal belief in non-interference or a powerful civilization enforcing non-interference in our region of space, makes a realistic solution for the Fermi Paradox, however for today we're going to assume they do and ask how that might have happened and what it would take to make it work. Let's begin with the case of an inevitable universal belief in non-interference, which as we'll see represents a very narrow window of possible moralities. Now this does not mean civilizations have to begin with this viewpoint, Were that so, we could easily disprove it just by our own attitudes now and in the past, which decidedly do not favor non-interference. It is pretty critical to this concept too that there actually be a provable and demonstrably true concept of right and wrong that is as ironclad and specific as scientific laws, like conservation of momentum and energy, or thermodynamics and entropy. Now that is not a very hard idea to wrap our head around since most of us believe that already, Oh to be sure we often take the intellectual stance that morality is relative, or acknowledge that our own personal morality is probably not complete or correct, but the word or thought, that was wrong, applied to someone else's views or actions is anathema to the notion that morality is relative. You cannot look at someone who has committed a heinous murder and say that was morally wrong or that was evil, believe that, and believe that morality is entirely subjective. Personally I take the stance that morality is not relative, we just haven't figured out that ironclad and specifically clear version of morality that would let us say X was right in the same way we could say that airplane has this amount of kinetic energy, or that building has a height of this many meters. And that's a fairly common view. We obviously can't prove that to be the case, at least at this time, but choosing to assume it is the case, and fumbling our way toward a clearer and truer view of a fundamental ethical system, is pretty much the only alternative to adopting nihilism and it is rather hard to imagine a civilization operating around a core belief in nihilism. Indeed that's a common Fermi Paradox solution all on its own, that civilizations realize there is no purpose to life, that there is no genuine right and wrong, and essentially collapse as a result, and we explored that more in our episode Gods and Monsters, Space as Lovecraft envisioned it. And needless to say from the title, that is not a Fermi Paradox solution that qualifies as cheerful or optimistic. So it is possible that there is a true ethical system achievable by every civilization through logical deduction that will match everyone else's, or do so on the topic of non-interference anyway, or at least that only civilizations that believe that, rightly or wrongly, actually survive and grow and can have debates about non-interference. As to the ethics of non-interference, they are decent enough, leave other folks be to grow up on their own and live their own lives. It's not really something most of us disagree with, especially compared to ramming your own culture and beliefs down their throats. However, this raises another problem, which is essentially the missionary or teacher dilemma of the Prime Directive. If you believe, rightly or wrongly, that there is a fundamental ethical truth, and you know it, that doesn't match up too well with the notion of letting other civilizations, be they primitive or neighboring interstellar empires, live by their own version of the truth that does not match your own. Now your morality might dictate that they are indeed wrong, but to interfere would be wrong too, and you can only control your own actions so you choose not to do wrong, but it still has a problem with it. You'll be instructing a class on these ethics to future space explorers and one of the students will ask why it is wrong to help them find the right and proper truth. 
You might respond by saying they have to reach it on their own because it would be wrong for you to interfere in their development, and that student might respond, but teacher, isn't that what you're doing with us right now? You would be on fairly thin ice to try to argue that it's okay because they are part of your species, particularly as in the case of something like the Federation, composed of many alien races, that is unlikely to be true. Kids have to get their morality from somewhere, presumably their parents, but you are probably not their parents and arguing you've effectively adopted them and teaching them, true though that is, is just going to get you the rebuttal of one of those students saying, can we not then say we've adopted these primitive worlds? There would be some truth to the notion that a culture needs to reach a destination organically to really appreciate it, not have it force-fed to them, but we don't expect people to derive all ethics on their own from square one without outside assistance. We do encourage them to think on it but we give them at least a basic moral code to operate in while they're doing that, and also encourage them not to reinvent the wheel. Great minds have contemplated these ideas in the past and wrote those contemplations down. We tell folks to go read them, read the rebuttals and counterarguments to those, not just navel-gaze till they derive the truth. Now a very advanced civilization with life extension and mind augmentation might decide that self-deriving that fundamental truth was important. They might even go so far as to dump their children into virtual world till they self-derive these things. That one does work for a Prime Directive Universe but only with a caveat, that those civilizations experiencing non-interference from outside civilizations do so because they get interfered with just one time. When they first found that world with sentient life they dropped a trillion little self-replicating drones down on them and infected their brains and transferred them all into an identical virtual world since that allowed every member of that civilization thereafter to have a chance to keep repeating life until they figured out that core morality on their own and were graduated back up to reality. This is a much safer approach to non-interference too, as you can keep a civilization bottled up digitally secure inside your own empire on some hard drive and also keep every individual member of it safe too, without countless generations having to die to learn those lessons. A common objection to the Prime Directive, and one we explored more in Smug Aliens, is that taken to an extreme it's not very ethical either. If I see a 100 kilometer wide asteroid headed towards a primitive world and opt not to interfere, right or wrong, the one guaranteed thing is those folks won't be doing any more cultural advancement after that asteroid hits. Star Trek takes this view sometimes too, depending on the era and writer they sometimes say even doing that is wrong, but in the original series episode for The World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, in dealing with a generation ship built inside an asteroid, whose inhabitants, the Yananda, have forgotten they are on such a generation ship, and which is headed on a crash course for a Federation world, Darren 5, Spock says, Captain, informing these people they're on a ship may be in violation of the Prime Directive of Starfleet Command. Kirk replies, no, the people of Yanada may be changed by the knowledge but it's better than exterminating them. Spock says, logical, Captain. And Kirk says, and the three billion on Darren 5. Also logical, Captain, says Spock. There's also a very good treatment of this in Star Trek The Next Generation episode Pen Pals, where the crew are debating about interference and what the exceptions are. If an asteroid is okay or a geological calamity, what about a plague or epidemic? What about a war? or some oppressive government is enslaving millions. It's probably the best discussion of the philosophy of the Prime Directive that ever happens in the shows, where usually the answer is hand-waved as morally clear and distinct, and a rare gem out of Season 2 of TNG which wasn't the best of the franchise. One of the bits I liked about it the most is that while they did all settle on a plan, it wasn't without heated disagreement or a bunch of straw man arguments. 
they got themselves into a moral quandary, invited disagreement, didn't all agree even if they followed orders to execute the plan, and didn't try to tell the audience what the right thing clearly was. So it's a problem with the Prime Directive, interpreted in its strictest form of zero interference, period, you will have people defying it. If you are a moral person with access to a vaccine that will save millions, even the threat of death won't stop you from trying to give folks that vaccine, and I died to save a million people is a great epitaph to have carved on your tombstone. So again you need to have that ironclad code of morality that can flat out calculate the morally right thing, which I tend to assume follows a path of minimal interference instead of zero interference. Assuming it even does say minimal interference, the code might say, New civilization, send in the diplomats, doctors, and teachers. This is why universal non-interference policy has to rely on the idea of a provable right and wrong, and one that can actually be fed in specific complex scenarios to give you a sure answer for a specific course of action, or at least a very clear statistical analysis with probabilities. Without that provable ethical code you need an enforcement wing, you probably need one anyway but it will have to be more robust, more ruthless, and is much more vulnerable to time. If you're doing minimal interference then you can have the occasional crazy citizen who doesn't respect your code try to get in, and either stop them or pull them out before they've done too much damage. If you have to deal with organized groups with alternative moralities, or the shifting policies you would expect over many thousands of years, if your civilization wasn't operating on some clearly defined and provable ethical system, then you will have the other issue of the Prime Directive, not if it is right to do so, but if there was any point in trying to. We can visit some world that resembles early human civilization, Stone Age or similar, and choose not to interfere in it, we might even classify its existence, but they have thousands of years ahead of them and trying to keep that place secret and keep folks from landing there is going to require a quarantine, one ongoing for thousands of years and sturdy enough to prevent any interference over such a time. That takes us to our second case, not that there is a universal code of ethics everyone eventually finds, but that there is some faction out there in the galaxy, or at least our region of it, who believes we should be left alone and has the commitment to do that for millennia, and the influence or firepower to back that up. Now the commitment angle is maybe not so bad, because the future is not the present. We couldn't maintain a quarantine for centuries because we have to worry about budgets and ever shifting viewpoints on the matter, but some ancient civilization whose average member lifespan was millions of years probably does not view this stuff the same way. One should not assume that massively extended lifespans results in cultural or philosophical stagnation, but it probably does slow down and dampen shifts in those. But you have to think about the actual members of such a civilization. We can picture them as numbering the trillions or far more, each one so wise and educated that they make us all look like drooling babbling morons. They are wise but maybe more importantly, they are terrifying. One of them, just one of them, would contain all the knowledge and technology and ability to stroll onto our planet and enlighten it, or conquer it, or convert it, or eradicate it, and we could not stop them. They probably would be able to talk us into helping them do any of the above, but they wouldn't need to. They could bend over, pick up a handful of dirt, infect it with nanotechnology, and fling it to the sky to achieve whatever end they had in mind. That is the sort of power you would expect to be the norm for any citizen of an advanced civilization. They are, every single one of them, ancient, they are superhuman, they could crush you like a bug, and they probably outnumber you by as many orders of magnitude as those bugs outnumber us. That is not someone you want to screw with. So if you get out in the galactic scene and meet them and they tell you stay away from primitive worlds, or do not interfere with other civilizations, 
You are going to know that there was no OR in there, because they think of your civilization right now as not much less primitive than when you were playing with sharp flint stones, and you're going to know that they can absolutely enforce that, because your own existence is proof they have been doing so successfully for at least as long as you have been around. They might not be a single species either, assuming such a term actually means anything to some civilization that mastered genetics, cybernetics, and artificial intelligence long before you mastered fire. You know they can monitor you, you probably won't try to lie to them because you can guess they can read your mind for all practical purposes. You're probably talking to something that could look at an entire stadium full of people for a quick moment, announce how many people were there, recognize every face a century later, and tell you what each person's heart rate was, skin temperature, and maybe even have MRI'd them all. You are not terrified of what their civilization might do to you if you disposed of their representative, you are terrified of what that lone representative could do to you if you even thought of trying to. All things considered, including that other civilizations should keep advancing if they are stuck under that civilization's thumb, I can't see a non-interference policy being enforced internally, but we should not assume it is from a lack of capability to either do so or maintain the will to do so. As Fermi Paradox Solutions go, this version of a Prime Directive is easy enough to see occurring. Someone gets a head start on everyone else, and they can pretty much do as they please, whether it is to colonize everything themselves or wipe everyone else out. Since we exist it stands to reason nobody preceded us with that intent, either because they had a different motivation or because we are the folks with that head start, as we considered in the Fermi Paradox episode Forceborn. If there was someone with such a head start, who happened to believe that others should be allowed to develop with minimal interference, then they have the capacity to enforce that. However, it can't be zero interference since they have to make that dictate clear to everyone else and again, to enforce that. Either it is a minimalist attitude or it has a threshold level, no interference until a civilization hits some milestone, the ability to make warp drives being the one in Star Trek. Though it would still seem like their preferred pathway would not be to surround wars with armadas, even ones run by faithful artificial intelligence that would not deviate from the goal even if they commanded it to, but rather some alternative for removal or quarantine like dumping primitive civilizations into virtual worlds or outright pocket universes if their technology permitted that. Of course any one of those three could be true for us right now and we would not be able to tell if they didn't want us to. Consider again those likely abilities they have and why I describe them as terrifying. If they decide to keep you quarantined and ignorant of the rest of the Universe, or the real or main Universe, they aren't likely to have made any mistakes we could see or exploit. But I also mentioned that scenario that we might be the first and that one day we might have to decide if we want such a policy without the advantage of anyone order to advise us on it or order us to do it. That seems a good place to wrap up for today by asking if it is likely we would ever have such policies. Are we going to develop some unarguable system of ethics, and what would that imply for us? Would we be willing to quarantine worlds for millennia? Would we order our ships to attack anyone who tried to run the blockade? or be willing to program an AI to guard that system from everyone, maybe even to refuse orders from us countermanding it. If after such a protected civilization got advanced, would we be willing to give them some chunk of the galaxy to call their own, or tell them they could only have it if they agreed to our policies? What would we do to them if they refused us, or to one of our own colonies who broke from that policy? Many would say no rule is any stronger than the ability and will to enforce it after all, So with all that in mind, as we sit at the dawn of the space age, is it possible we only got here because someone out there is already enforcing a prime directive of non-interference? And if not, if we are the first, 
should we adopt such a policy as we head out to the stars. We were talking about the notion of all civilizations converging on some unified theory of ethics today through contemplation and logic, and how that's often a common theme in science fiction, but another common occurrence in a lot of early science fiction is how often they mangle the notion of logic. A better understanding of logic, especially formal logic, is one of those skills I wish we taught more and is a wonderful tool to have in your mental toolbox and skill set. If you're interested in improving your skill with logic, there's some great courses and quizzes on the topic over at Brilliant. Brilliant is an online learning site with an enormous collection of topics on math, science, and computer science, where you can improve your skills with interactive content and have fun while you're at it. They make a great addition to educational videos like these, as they let you get hands-on learning and practice with the concepts to help you truly master them, and learn more about how our world and our universe work. From courses and quizzes to a community forum to get help, to daily challenges and an offline app that lets you sharpen your analytical abilities anywhere you are and have a few minutes to spend, Brilliant lets you learn math, science, and computer science and have fun while you're doing it. If you want to learn more and help support our show, you can try Brilliant out for free by going to Brilliant.org slash IsaacArthur. We mentioned asteroids wiping civilizations out today but they also offer potential resources and homes for an expanding humanity and a gateway to space settlement, and we'll examine that this Thursday as we consider the role of asteroid mining and orbital settlements in our future as we continue our Becoming an Interplanetary Species series, and the week after that we'll be looking at space development from the more human side of things as we contemplate life as a space colonist. If you want alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes, you can donate to us on Patreon or our website, IsaacArthur.net, which are linked in the episode description below, along with all of our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. Until next time, thanks for watching and have a great week. Mm-hmm.